Oh, it's good to see you all. We are kicking off kind of, it's, 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 we're getting into to December. It's, it's almost the Christmas month. I'm so excited. I love Christmas. Um, we, and so we're going to be, uh, today I wanted to just take a few minutes and, and we're going to be talking about, uh, getting ready for Christmas, prepping for Christmas. How many know Christmas takes preparation? <laughs> I, uh, I was doing some research online. And uh, I found an article that said the average, it was an article, it was a survey done in England. So I'm assuming we're somewhat similar to the Brits. Um, it said that in England, the average person spent 66 hours in some form of preparation for Christmas. Um, and here's kind of the, the breakdown of some of the, some of the main ones. It said people spent on average 10 hours and 7 minutes uh, shopping for and acquiring gifts, whether that be making them or going to stores and standing in lines. Uh, eight hours, eight hours and 50 minutes shopping for food, decorations, and other Christmas-related goods. Seven hours cooking, six, almost seven hours cleaning, um, six hours wrapping gifts, and uh, having guests over another six and a half hours. And I thought that seemed excessive. To me, until last night, I spent five hours just cutting the lights off of my old pre-lit tree because they quit working last year. And it took me five hours to cut them out so I could put new ones on. And then I said, oh, this does, gets away from you quick, doesn't it, time? Um, but we want to look today at, at, at kind of the idea of prepping for Christmas, you know, the Christmas story has a whole lot of preparation leading up to it. Um, it. It's called the Old Testament. Like the whole Old Testament leads up to Christmas. Christmas is the, 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 it's literally the dividing line in time. And so there was a lot of preparation that, that got us as a, as a, as humanity ready for that moment. And so, um, this morning I want to, I want to look at the final, kind of the final word that, that, that God gave us before that moment. The final thing that He said to us as, as humanity, uh, before He, he came to us Himself. And I, I think there's some, there's some important, uh, lessons to be learned in this, uh, fair warning. Um, this is not this is not the most warm and fuzzy of Christmas themed messages. Um, there's your warning, uh, <laughs> but it gets better at the end, I promise. Uh, so, just a background by way to catch us up to where we're gonna kind of spend our time today. Um, you know, we've spent uh, a few weeks ago. We, we talked about Israel and the Exodus story, how God. For them, called that 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 group of of people and and rescued them from Egypt. Um, you're probably familiar with the story. He he then sets them up in the the promised land, and then for years he de develops this this little people group into a nation, and they have this kind of on again off again relationship with God. Right? They're kind of if anybody, anybody watched the, you know, used to watch episodes of Friends, they were the Ross and Rachel of 
of spirituality, right? They were on again, they were off again, they'd love him for a little bit, and then they'd, they'd take advantage of him and, and, and ignore him, and then they would, because of that, they would lose his blessing, and then there would be judgment, and then they would finally wise up, and it was the cycle, right, for years, hundreds of years, literally, over and over and over again, and we have kings rise and fall, and then uh, eventually we have we have um, God lets them get taken into exile, and then through a, a mighty act, He brings them back into the promised land. But by that time, the the land has been kind of laid waste. The temple is gone. Um, the walls of of Jerusalem have been knocked down, and then. God leads his people and they, they kind of rebuild, right? They rebuild the walls, um, and, and Ezra and Nehemiah and they, they rebuild the temple. And this is where kind of it's, it's a, maybe a couple generations past that is where we find our, our text today. Um, we're going to be looking at the, the last book in the Old Testament. It's my, my favorite minor prophet. Um, just because I like to say his name, uh, I, I, and I missay it on purpose, it's, we're going to be looking at Malachi. He's the Italian prophet, and that's why I have an affinity for him. No, it's Malachi. It's the last, it's the last book in the Old Testament. It's the, it's the last word that God gives us before Christmas. And so I thought that'd be appropriate place to start and kind of kick off this season. Um, it's a very short book. It's only, it's only four chapters. That's why it's, it's part of the, what, what they call the minor prophets. Um, minor prophets are minor prophets purely because of the size of the book, not the importance. Um, and so we, we have this little book. It's hard for those that still use analog Bibles. This is one of the hardest books uh, in the world to find because it's like one little page in all the pages and it's just, it's just right there. Um, it's four chapters. And what we see in, in the book of Malachi is, is kind of a, a conversation really between God and the people of Israel through the prophet Malachi. And it's, it's not a pleasant conversation. The, 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 the message is God trying to get a hold of his people's hearts and minds and show them the areas in which they have not been fulfilling their part of the relationship with God. And he, and he brings a list of, of four kind of, they call them disputes before the people. But the people didn't really want to hear it. And so we have this back and forth conversation between God and the people of Israel. And so for the beginning part of our, 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 our thing today, we're going to look at those four disputes. We're going to, because it's, that was a really, really, really long time ago. But how many know we haven't changed much? The disputes that God had with the people of Israel then are still the disputes that He has with His people today. <laughs> and so, um, we're gonna, we wanna look through these because this is, this is the message. This is what God is trying to draw our attention to, to say, I want to come to you. I want Christmas to happen. I want to be there, but these are the things that are getting in our way. That are, that are impeding my ability to come to you and to be the God that you want me to be, you say you want me to be. Like I said, these are not necessarily warm and fuzzy, but I think that they're important. And so we're going to look through them 
this morning. All right, the, we're just going to start in, in Malachi chapter 1. We, we see our, our first dispute that God kind of levies against the people of Israel. Number one is they doubt God's love. And we see that right off the bat. In Malachi chapter 1, starting in verse 2, he says, I have always loved you, says the Lord. But you retort, really? How have you loved me? And the Lord replies, this is how I showed my love for you. I loved your ancestor, Jacob. So here we see right off the bat, Israel was guilty of forgetting God's goodness. We talked about the importance of, of gratitude and thankfulness last, last Sunday. What a wonderful time we had just remembering the good things in God that God has done in our life. And this, this is why that's so important. When we don't do that, Israel didn't do that. They had neglected being grateful and they forgot God's goodness and it caused them to doubt his love. It's like a, a friend or a child who's, who's never ha- never happy with what enough. You've never done enough for him. Anybody, don't, don't raise your hand if you're sitting next to him, but anybody have someone like that in their life that it just, it just doesn't matter what you do. Uh, it's, it's just never quite enough. You, you spend all, all your time or you, you spend all, uh, all your, your everything, you know, to get your kid this amazing gift and they're, you're so excited to give it to him. You give it to him and, and they're like, but I wanted the pink one. Well, I'm sorry, they didn't have the pink one. We have to remember God's goodness. And when Israel didn't, they, they began to doubt his love. And, and you see it in the in, in their reply. It's it's almost like this um it, it, it's crazy. It's, it's in this question form that they, that they replied, really? How have you loved us? They had gotten to the point where the doubt, they had forgotten so much of what God has done that they, they didn't, they, they couldn't even come up with the argument. It wasn't even that they just forgot that God loved me and they got to the point where like, well, I know God loves me, but this, but this, but this. They were past that. They were at the point where they were, they couldn't even come up with the reason to believe that God had loved them. It's crucial that we remember what God has done in us, through us, and for us. To constantly uh, stoke the, the, the love and, and, and convince ourselves and each other of the love that God has for us. Because to do any less is to take advantage of those things that He has done. So that's, that's the first dispute. We're going to move on. Dispute number two that, that God has uh, is, he says, they were giving unworthy sacrifices. Giving unworthy sacrifices. In Malachi uh, 1, starting in verse 6, says, uh, The Lord of heaven's armies said to the priests, A son honors his father and a servant respects his master. If I am your father and master, where are the honor and respect I deserve? Have you shown con- ha- you have shown contempt for my name? But I ask you, how have? But you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? Verse seven: You have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You see this ad- this attitude where it's just constant defensiveness. I didn't do that. No, I didn't. It's a dangerous, it's a dangerous place to be in our lives, whether it's a relationship with each other or a relationship with God, when we are constantly 
uh, trying to win the argument, not hear the dispute. Right? And that's what we see here. When we start nitpicking at every little thing, someone comes to you and says, hey, I have a problem. This has hurt me or or this happened and, and, and we have a problem here. If your goal in that situation is to just prove the person wrong, the chances are that it's never going to get right. And that's what we see with Israel here. They're, they're just being deflective and defensive. And every little thing, they want God to prove. I mean, think about that. They, they're asked, they want God to prove that he's right about his accusations. Not that you've ever done that with the Lord, I'm sure. Um, but they were messed up. Uh, and it continues at the end of verse 7. He says, how have we defiled the sacrifices? And God says, you defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect when you give blind animals a sacrifice. Isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Go ahead, beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? Asks the Lord of heaven's armies. That's a dispute. See, Israel hadn't, hadn't completely abandoned their worship. They were still, they were still doing the things that they were told they had to do as, with regards to, to giving to the temple, to, to continue the sacrificial system, which was the, the system that God had set up for them to show honor and to, to submit to His will. But they had, had become something where they were just giving the leftovers. They were just doing the absolute minimum. You see this in, in, in our workplaces sometimes work with ever works with somebody that does like their goal is to do just enough not to get fired. Right? This is, this is where the people of Israel were. God, listen, God, God had commanded, God had asked that I want your fruit first fruits. He didn't want all of their stuff. It wasn't oppressive. He wanted 10, he asked them for a tithe, 10%. But he wanted the first fruits, the best that they had to offer. God deserves our best, doesn't he? Financially, our time, our effort. But but the people of Israel weren't bringing their, they had neglected to bring their first fruits. Now they were bringing, it says, blind and diseased animals. They were just finding the, the, you know, the, the most sickly little, piddly lamb they they could get the you know the 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 discount clearance one in the back that was about to you know die anyway and so well we'll just bring him out but it wasn't fooling god god knows and it's not that god needed listen god it's not that god needs our best god need you need to give god your best you know, he's not lacking in resources. It's not about that. It's about it being an accurate reflection of how much we honor the Lord. And so they weren't, the, the second dispute here is they, they weren't, get, they were giving unworthy circum or sacrifices. And it's a, it's a, Sobering, it's a good question for us to ask going into, going into the season of giving. Are we, how, how is your giving of your sacrifices to the Lord? Is it, 
Is it first fruits? Or is it, is it just your leftovers? Is it just the, the spare time you have? Is it just an afterthought? It's very quiet. <laughs> Number three, they've neglected their priestly duties to declare God's truth. Chapter two, starting verse seven says, the world, the words of, of a priest's lips should preserve knowledge of God and people should go to him for instructions for the priest is a, is the messenger of the Lord of heaven's armies. But you priests have left God's path. Your instruction have caused many to stumble into sin. You have corrupted the covenant covenant I made with the Levites, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Listen, the priests were the ones that were responsible to show Israel how to worship properly. That was their task, and they weren't doing it. They weren't being faithful. They weren't faithfully declaring the truth, the knowledge, and the character of God to those around them. Listen, as kingdom citizens, that role falls to all of us. The Bible talks about how when we enter in, when we become followers of Jesus, we don't just become citizens of heaven, but it says that we all become, well, one, we become weird, we become uh, peculiar people, but we also become uh what? A kingdom of priests. As kingdom citizens, we are all tasked and privileged to be the ones that are to announce how, it, how we are to properly worship God to each other and to a world out there that desperately needs to know how to have a good, proper relationship with the God who loves them. But they had neglected it. And if we're honest, there's a lot of times where we neglect it. Where we, we don't have in our, in our life flow any sort of regular uh, interactions where we are telling somebody else, where we are declaring who God is and, and why He's great to those around us. Listen, that's not bonus, super mature Christian stuff. That is the call of every believer. You know, you notice in the, in, in the Gospels, um, during the time of Jesus' ministry, you know who the best evangelists were? It wasn't the disciples. It was just the average run-of-the-mill people that had an incredible encounter with Jesus and couldn't shut up about it regardless of whether he told them to or not. It was the woman at the well. It was, it was the, the man that was, whose son was healed. That they, they, they had an encounter with Jesus and they just had to tell somebody else about it. That's how you end up with, with Jesus, with these giant crowds of people flocking to him. It wasn't because of the disciples. They were too busy following him, trying to figure out anything he said, and arguing with each other at that point. <laughs> they, weren't, they, they weren't the reason why crowds were coming. They re, crowds were coming because people had been touched by Jesus and then were being faithful to tell others that he had touched them. 
They didn't understand. The woman at the well didn't understand all of the spiritual implications and the, the doctrine of the Trinity. And they didn't, she hadn't gone to Bible school. All she knew was, this man loved me and changed my life. And there were other people in her life that, that she knew needed to know him. And whatever part of God, of who God was, who Jesus was, that she had, she shared. We're called to that same thing. And when we don't do it, we're neglecting our priestly duties. That was number three. Number four, they, they were unfaithful to their families. Starting in verse 13 says, here's another thing you do. It's, you know, it's God's, <laughs> it's kind of just going off. And another thing, you know. Here's another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping, and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and he doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your, the wife of your marriage vows, They were unfaithful to their, to their families. Listen, the Lord put us in families and how we treat them, He takes as an extension of how we treat Him. There was an, there was an epidemic at that time there. The, 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 the men of Israel had started, you know, uh, kind of just randomly divorcing their wives for really no good reason and, and then marrying outside. They were, um, bringing in, um, Wives from other cultures, and, and it was contaminating the, the way they, they worshipped. Now you may not be, you may not be, you know, having an affair, but there's, you know, that's only one of the things that you, we promise to do when we when we get married, right? <laughs> that's like the, that's like the the bottom of, of them. That's like the Right? What about the love? What about honor? What about cherish? Support. Faithfulness is more than just divorce. It's upholding all those other promises that, that we said on that, that day. And it's, and it, ex, you can extend that very easily, not just to, not just to, uh, husband and wives, but all, but kids, our, our families. We are, we are responsible to be faithful to those that God has entrusted in our family unit. To be priests to each other and make sure that we are telling each other and, and reminding each other of God's goodness, of His love, and His Word. To encourage each other, support each other, to be, be the people that Jesus has created us to be. And when we're not, when we're not faithful to do that, God has beef with us because that's our, our primary thing. Listen, it doesn't matter how great you are and how much people think of you at work. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter how good you can sing or how often you win your fantasy football league. If your family isn't right, if you're not famous at home, all the rest of it, Get scratched in God's eyes. 
So these are the four things that God, that God has a dispute with Israel. And it's four things that I think we still have to question in our own lives on a regular basis. And then, so we have all these heavy, heavy questions that are posed to Israel. And I think we could pose to ourselves today. And in Israel's case, there was, God was the one that was making the accusation. So we can, you know, fair bet, he was right. <laughs> they were guilty. They were guilty. And then he ends with, with a promise of a coming day of judgment. In Malachi 4, he says, The Lord of heaven's army says, The day of judgment is coming. Burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. Now, this this sounds very doomsday-ish, right? <laughs> um, but, but actually... Even though this sounds like the worst part of this, you know, the asteroid coming to just destroy all of us, whatever. This is actually the good news that I was talking about. See, we think of judgment in, in we tend to think of judgment in negative terms, right? Because the primarily I think it's because the way we in English use the word judgment. Anytime we, we use it in, in normal English context, right? It, it's in a court case and somebody's getting, somebody's getting punished. Um, people are getting what's coming to them. It's, it, it, it's scary. I, I, I should know because, um, my parents named me, uh, my middle name is Daniel. Um, and Daniel literally means God is my judge. And I had one of those nice, I don't know, anybody else have the wood plaque you got when you were a kid, had your name with the, the Bible meaning, and it was, it was like hanging in my room. And I want to tell you, growing up, that was, I didn't, I was not happy about that. It's like one of the scariest things, just have this reminder every day on the side of my wall, God is your judge. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> but that's how we feel about God's judgment, right? It's like, ah, okay, I'm in trouble. But if we look at the biblical understanding for judgment, it can, here's where the good news is. It can, it should and can shift our, 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 our perspective on what that really means. See, to judge in biblical context really doesn't, it doesn't mean to punish. It means to set things right. We look at the book of Judges in the Old Testament. What, if you read that book, you read those accounts, what is it? It's not a story of, of people getting, of Israel getting punished. It's a story of people God rose up to judge. They were called judges to judge Israel. What did those people do? They set Israel free. We should, in a very real way, be longing for God's judgment because it's in His judgment that things get set right. And when things get set right, we get set free. Because here's the, the real good news this morning. And I, I laid out some, some pretty heavy disputes and, um, and we should take those into, to, 
to account. We should examine ourselves. We should be repentant of those sorts of things. We should be pursuing honesty and asking the Lord for, for help in the areas that we are falling short. But don't forget, this is all about Christmas preparation, right? That's why we started this message. Israel never got its act together. So remind you of that. They, they didn't stop doing these things. The, the New Testament is clear. Israel didn't get the message. They still were unfaithful. They still, they, the New Testament comes, they still ha- hadn't figured out, they still were giving bad sacrifices. They, they, their marriage practices were a mess in the New Testament. All those things were still present. But what happened? Christmas came anyway. Jesus still came. See, Jesus doesn't come once we get things right. He comes to make things right. And we look at the disputes that God has against us, and so and our, our initial reaction, the enemy gets in there, and, and when we want to have a moment of honesty and realize, man, I'm not, I'm not doing right by my family. I'm not giving like I, like I should be. My sacrifice is weak right now. I don't, I, I, I don't talk about the Lord to anybody, really. And we, we come to a moment of honesty and, and, and maybe even move towards repentance and making changes and the enemy comes in and we feel shame for these things. And so our reflect, our, our reaction is to shy away from, from God and say, okay, I gotta get this right so I can get to Jesus so we can be right. And, but that's not the way it works. See, Jesus comes to make it right. We have to come to Him so that He can transform us, so that He can empower us, so that He can set us free to do those things. He came to right our wrongs because He knew we didn't have it within us to do that. He didn't. See, Jesus came all the way from heaven. All we have to do is turn to Him. And we confess these things. These areas that, that we are know we're, we're not living up to the standard that God, God is asking for in our lives. And He comes to us and He partners with us. And He gives us grace. And so there's two things I want to kind of do this morning um, in our, our kind of our time left. And the first one is, I just want to give us a moment to, to come to Jesus. We've been talking about some of these, these things, these areas that, that, that we all fall short in, you know. Romans said, we all fall short of, of God's glory, of His standard, of His plan. And so I want to give us a moment to, to, to just have an honest moment before the Lord and, and repent, ask Him to forgive you for those things, but not just repent, but ask Him to, to invade that area. Ask Him to, to, to partner with you, to show you how to move forward, to come into that, that part of your life. 
so that it's not out of shame, it's not out of guilt that we're trying to fix a problem, but it's out of the freedom and the grace that He gives us in that area that we can grow. If you just want to close your eyes and just have a moment with the Lord. God, we come to You this morning. Lord, and we've, we've read, we've read account of, of your, how you, you love us so much that you hold us accountable to the things that you hold us accountable for. And God, we just take this moment and we confess. God, we thank you for your, your grace, God, your patience with us. Lord, as we, we confess our, our, our shortcomings, as we confess these areas that we, we know we haven't been, we haven't been living up to, to the standard. We haven't been doing the things that we know we should be doing. God, but we also know that you are faithful and just to forgive us when we, when we acknowledge and when we ask for your forgiveness. And so we receive your grace this morning. We receive your forgiveness this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill us with hope, fill us with your joy, fill us with your direction on how we can live a different way in these areas, how we can love our families better, how we can give to you the things that you are worthy of, God, that we would, we would give sacrificially and with joy. God, that we would set our mind on the things above and that we would be faithful witnesses to your activity in our lives and in this world. God, we thank you for your judgment. We thank you that you come to make things right, things that we are helpless to fix on our own. We acknowledge that it is only by your mighty hand that anything good happens. And so we, we submit, we surrender to your will. We surrender to your judgment, God, because we know that your, your judgment is better than our own attempt at freedom every single time. We bless you, Lord. Amen. Amen.